Good morning. I am Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM. Today, we're so pleased to have Mr. Hank Zona in our studio today. He is the owner of Swirl Wine Events. Hank, welcome to the program, and thank you for taking out time of your busy schedule to talk to us about Swirl Wine Events as well as leadership. Thanks, Darrell. Thanks for having me here. It's always a pleasure to see you, and I'm flattered to... Uh, be a guest on your show. Thank you. Well, you know, this is part of our local leader segment that we're going to have throughout the year on leadership where we talk to folks who are leaders in our community and who make a very big contribution to our community. And you are certainly one of the leaders in our community. So so thank you for making time for us. Thank you so much. So, you know, share with our audience a little bit about yourself, your education and your experience, and, and then we'll find out how you became a uh, – it's called a uh, – so, sommelier, or sommelier. actually, I'm, I'm really more of a wine educator, actually, okay. but but either one works. Okay. So, um, I'm I'm here in Maplewood uh, for 20 years now. Uh, I grew up in Staten Island. My educational background is I went to Monsignor Farrell High School, which is the Staten Island version of Seton Hall Prep, to put it in Seton Hall terms. Here, uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to have a great guidance counselor who who was a priest who talked me out of going to Notre Dame uh, because he thought Cornell University was a better move for me. And, and really on his word, I applied and, and accepted, and it was probably one of the best things I could have done. Nothing against Notre Dame. Many of my friends went there, fine school, but, it, but he was right. It was the right move for me. Uh, and it was actually at Cornell where um, I did finally get my, my real training, I, I would say early training in wines. I took some wine classes at the hotel school for credit. I was up in the Finger Lakes and was able to start visiting wineries for the first time. So I was able to take that informal education I had where wine was always on the table uh, in, in my youth, uh, being the son of uh, really second generation immigrant uh, grandparents uh, from, from Italy, from Alsace-Lorraine. And uh, so wine was a big part of our, our family. And um, after Cornell, um, you had a series of professional occupations. What, what did you start off doing? I, I did. I, I, uh, I was at the Cornell School of Industrial and Labor Relations, and I went into a career in human resources, worked for Macy's, worked for AIG in their corporate offices. Always, always would have thought toward being self-employed. And um, I, had, I had an uncle who was one of these self-made men, n- never graduated high school, but uh, in his own words, everything he did uh, – Everything he touched turned to gold. So uh, he was president of an import-export company, and one of the, one of his pieces of advice he gave me when I was in high school was, try to look toward being self-employed. Uh, he said, I know what kind of makeup uh, you have, and I know what kind of person you are, and I think you'll be really most satisfied in that type of environment. So even though I was in the human resource side, I, I kind of worked my way toward uh, toward really the consulting side. I was I was an executive search professional for over 20 years. Uh, and that was really what I when I first really entered that uh, entrepreneurship. And um, how did Swirl Wine events come about? Uh, as I like to tell people, I had to figure out a way to legitimize my drinking after all these years. <laughs> but but really, it was it was really it was, it was a way to uh, it was a way to really uh, find find a way to combine uh, an interest with something that I wanted to do for a living. Uh, it was something I had worked on for a number of years informally. I had been a teaching assistant at a wine school in the city while being self-employed in the executive search business. Uh, you know, and, and it's, it's funny, uh, you know, that whole ability to, to take an interest and, and make a career of it. I knew I'd never be able to play center field for the Yankees. I knew I'd never be able to sing like Al Green. But this was an interest of mine that, uh, that I was able to, to really try to shape into a business opportunity. 
Wonderful. And um, how long has Swirl Wine Events been in existence now? Informally, I've been doing it for about five years. I'd say really formally for for a couple of years now, and really it's been been taking off uh, a lot more rapidly in the past year, I would say. And um, so, you know, my next question was what motivated you to get into to the wine business? But now I know you love to enjoy <laughs> a great, great glass of wine. What, yeah, so yeah. tell me, what do you think about the Malbec grape? Uh, Malbec grapes, it's its really been an interesting, interesting meteoric rise for Argentina. Now, now people don't necessarily think of Argentina as a wine country per se, but they are part of the fourth largest wine producing country, I believe, in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, Malbec was a little blending grape used in Bordeaux oh. that, uh, that someone was smart to come up with a business plan to, to see that they would make uh, really good freestanding Malbecs. In, in Argentina, and it and has taken off meteorically. In fact, at, at the uh, expense of other wine regions that had been hot, Australia had been a very hot region for a long time and has almost fallen off the table because the preference has been for this uh, uh, probably a, an easier drinking and, uh, and probably more cost-effective uh, wine uh, in the Malbecs, and there's a whole range of them now in the market. Yeah. In my previous career, I worked for a scientific publisher, and I handled uh, Latin America, ah. and I had the opportunity of going down to Argentina, and I was introduced to the Malbec grape mm-hmm. uh, by a friend who I was working with, who covered Latin America for me. And ever since then, I've actually been hooked on the Malbec, and, right. and I am uh, pleasantly surprised at the price point of right. the Malbec grape. Right. I, I think what helps there is that the dollar is still very favorable compared to uh, currency in Argentina. Uh, I also think what what Malbec has going for it, and and you saw this when you were down in Argentina on business, you know that they're the largest per capita beef-consuming country in the world, and they're washing down their steaks with with that chimichurri sauce with Malbecs. <laughs> but it's also a wine that you can drink by itself, and that's a, and that's a rare wine that you can that's a good accompaniment to food, but also something you can just have to drink. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, um, tell us about. A swirl wine event. What can one expect uh, if they were to say, "Okay, Hank, we, I, I got, I got these group of folks, and I want to do something special for them." So, tell me about the event and right. from start to finish. The, the events I do, uh, Darrell, are, are really arranged. They're they're private events. They're corporate events. They're they're fundraisers. They're alumni events. Um, uh, so, so they really run the gamut. And one of the first things I try to ascertain is really what do people like? Uh, it, it was a conversation I had recently. Someone said to me uh, at an event I did at an unnamed other university function, um, you, you know, teach me how to taste. What, what's, what's important when tasting wine? I said, well, the very first thing is what do you like? You know, if you like the taste of it, that, that should be your overriding uh, number one. So, so I ask people what they like, what kind of theme they want, and I can help them put together a theme based on interest, based on their budget, based on the, on, on the season, based on if there's going to be a food component or not, uh, based on if it's going to be an hour event or if it's going to be a four-hour event. So, so I really work and help them kind of sculpt an event, and 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 then I, and the person who puts forth the entertainment, if if you will, and the uh, and the infotainment. And uh, during this time, I guess they're they're tasting several different wines. Yes, and they're they're getting a really good. Uh, it's almost like being at a winery, if you will. It is because you get a chance to taste things side by side. Mm-hmm. Most people open a bottle of wine and they taste it. If they're having guests uh, over, they may open a second or third bottle. But it's rare that people taste wine side by side. 
and and even a trained palate doesn't have such great palate recall to be able mm-hmm. to taste something today and taste something a number of days from now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may you may on both occasions say I like this, but if you taste them side by side, you might have a totally different opinion. If you taste a, a third wine, then you might have a different opinion once more of those two wines. So it's it's always nice to taste things side by side. Uh, you know, I flood people with a lot of information, uh, but but again, I do it in a in a nice, casual, informative way. It, it's uh, no one wants to go back to school after a while when it comes to this. It, it, to me, wine is a very social thing. It's a pleasurable thing, and and I think that's how the point needs to be gotten across to folks. And. Um Let's talk about the. Not, I don't think it's the controversy, but the the corkscrew versus the um, the, uh, the, screw cor- the screw top. Yes, yeah. uh, you know, for some people it's a controversy because because uh, as you know, some people are very traditional. They're very mm-hmm. old school. Right. Uh, but but what has happened with with the cork? In a lot of cases, there there's a uh, a mold that that cork can get, in, and it does affect oh. the, the taste of the wine. One of the one of the first regions where you've seen more screw tops used are wines coming from New Zealand and Australia. Because the the length of the shipment uh, mm. coming in overseas, more of that wine was liable to uh, to, to to spoil or, or to or to get this taint because of the mold, and and it's really just a better preservative having the screw top wine. Some wines now even have a little glass stopper in them. You're going to start mm. to see those uh, because people do like that ability to kind of put something in back into the top of it, right. and so it is a clean glass with a. With a little rubber a seal on it, and uh, and I'm seeing that on on now less expensive wines as well. But you know what? Screw tops are really convenient. If if you're sitting out on Flood Hill for one of those summer concerts, right. it's really nice to be able to just crack right. open a nice bottle right. of wine, and enjoy it on a right. beautiful summer night with some beautiful music. And uh, it doesn't affect the taste at all. It does not. In fact, if anything, it. it it's more likely to, uh, to maintain that taste. Uh, the one thing that screw tops don't do is they don't allow some air to come in. That little bit of oxidation does go a long way. It is important for some certain wines to age, but, but the vast majority of wines that people buy are, to, are wines to be consumed today. Mm-hmm. So it really is, it's really a convenience factor, and also it really helps maintain the quality of the wine. You know, uh, Hank, you are one of the leaders in our town. You have devoted a uh, a lot of time to the Maplewood South Orange Girls Softball League. Tell us about how it all got started uh, way back when and how many girls were in the program. And today, uh, it's, it's a phenomenal program, and we're starting to become very competitive. But you're one of the founding members. Share with us uh, how it all got started. I, I think, uh, and thanks, Darrell, because that's how we've met, because you've mm-hmm. also been really involved in that. And, and I always appreciate people who, who have a, a passion and, and involvement in, in any aspect within the community. You know, it was a program that no one really wanted anything to do with. It was in the shadow of some larger programs, and no one was quite sure who was going to run it. So uh, I and a couple of other folks decided to basically take it, uh, a program that had been about 120 girls, and people weren't really paying much attention to. And, uh, and and now, five years later, we've grown to over 350 girls with a, a, a range of seasons, uh, with, with summer programs or travel team programs. But I think also um, a focus on what's important to the community, not making it some super elite program, but making it a program where, where every girl is welcome. Also realize, realizing the importance in this community of giving something back. You, you noticed last year with that uh, that All-Star Games where, where monies were raised for breast cancer yes. awareness and research uh, with, with the big softball day we have every year where we do a food drive. Right. You know, so it's not just going in and using fields and having a program and charging people, but also mm-hmm. creating this awareness that it, it's not just athletic development, but there's a lot of social development that right. goes on in these programs too. Right, right, right. And um, 
now you're the president of the Cougars. Is it the Cougars? booster program yes. for Columbia High School. Yeah, yes, I am, um, because my wife says I just can't say no. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, you know, a lot of my involvement is really with, with youth services with, um, uh, within the community and, and always has been, and uh, even beyond coaching. I think we all who are involved with schools, it's, it's a lot easier when, when the kids are in, in preschool and, and, uh, and they're in these co-ops and you have chances to be inside the school and to volunteer more. And then through grade school, it starts to diminish into middle school. High school really is not a lot of opportunity to be involved other than to really be a fan, if you will, and to show up for the concerts and to show up for the shows and to show up for the ball games. Um, so this is an opportunity for me to be involved and, and to see what goes on. The Cougar Boosters have been around for over 15 years, but really in the past dozen years have raised over $200,000, mostly through the, uh, the Cougar Classic Golf Outing, which is at the Maplewood Country Club every year. And that gets distributed to a whole range of activities within the school. Some people believe that's just for sports, but, uh, but an example I used recently was in, in one week last year, we not only gave money to the fabulous Columbia track team, the girls' track team, to go to the Penn Relays in Philadelphia, but we also gave a significant amount of funding to the Shakespeare Society for, for their whole Shakespeare Festival for a week-long uh, festival they have at the high school. Uh, the Astronomy Club has their uh, telescope because of us. Uh, there, there are other types of training within the school for different groups, and we also fund Midnight Madness, which is... Um, probably the single biggest contribution we make, which is the senior class trip the night of graduation uh, at some undisclosed location to give them a, a really great send-off in a safe, non-alcoholic environment. That is awesome. The one thing that I didn't realize, because when I was coming up through high school, we had a booster club, but mm -hmm. it was just to support the football team. Right. But here you're supporting all the various different activities throughout right. the uh, great Columbia High School. Right. And, and, you know, and, and some of the larger activities do have their own booster club. The music program does, the football team does, soccer program does, and so on. Some of these booster clubs are well much more effective than, than others. Um, but then there are also groups within that, that don't have that support at all. So uh, w one of our goals this year was to try to do more outreach to the whole community, uh, the whole Columbia community, to, to let them know that we were there and that money was available. Now, of course, the, uh, the double-edged sword there is that the more people who are aware of, uh, of your existence, the, the more the people more, want The more money. requests. Right, right. <laughs> so, but but that, that's a good problem. And, and when does the golf outing occur? Golf outing is the first Monday in May. Uh, I believe that's May 2nd this year. Uh, you know, last year, it was pretty impressive. In, in, a, in a down economy, we filled 90 slots, uh, actually 92 to be exact, and, mm -hmm. and raised about $15,000. We've got 120 slots this year, so our, our goal is going to be to really pin it at 120 and, uh, and, and make it a big event and try to get more people to come and, to and the And each slot night. costs how much? Uh, you know, I couldn't give you an exact number right now, but, but I will tell you this. Looking at other golf outings, it, it's a very reasonable number right, for, a, right. for a full day's activity, which includes a, a kickoff brunch, right. full round of golf, a dinner afterwards. Exactly, yeah. exactly. That is, that is awesome. Yeah. And what other fundraising activities are you planning uh, throughout the year? Well, well the, uh, that's, that's one of the nice things about being on the board is uh, as, as when, I, when I first uh, got involved, people said, this is a really good group. We give out money. And, <laughs> and, and it is a nice thing. And, and so we don't do heavy fundraising. At the beginning of the school year, uh, what they call it the red letter, a letter goes out to all incoming freshmen. Okay. Uh, and also all students actually asking for really a soft donation. And, and we raised probably three to $5,000 that way. Um, I would love to be able to somehow combine 
my wine business with uh, right. with the ability to to do some kind of a fundraiser somewhere else during the year or even in the evening now at the golf outing to uh, to, to be able to boost more Count money. Count me in. <laughs> excellent, excellent, excellent. You know, I, I, you know uh, wine is something that uh, I've enjoyed, but I need to learn more about. I've had opportunity of going to South Africa for a sales meeting a few years ago mm. with my former company I was working for. Mm. And we spent a day, we went to three different uh, wineries. Mm-hmm. And it was nice, you know, uh, tasting all of the different wines uh, except for I was criticized because I kept uh, drinking all the wine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I go to some of these events and I've tasted up to 250 wines in a day and, and I will say it's it's a good idea to spit liberally sometimes yes, at these. Yes, yes. But, but it's you know it's it's fun to, to to learn about this wine consumption and one of the reasons I got involved in the business is consumption in the U.S. just keeps going up. By next year the United States will be the largest consumer of wine in the world. Not per capita, nowhere close per capita, but still largest overall consumer of wine. Mm-hmm. And with that consumption, people want to learn more. They, mm-hmm. they want to feel more comfortable. Uh, I think a lot of people have had that experience where they've walked into a retail store and they've gotten that tunnel vision because right. they don't know what to look for. Exactly. Or, they've, or they've been out entertaining for business and the wine list comes and all of a sudden it seems written in a language you've never seen before. So, so little information goes a long way to make people comfortable. Mm-hmm. And, and one way to do that is to, again, go to tasting events, but even to visit wineries, to, you know, learn about the passion of, of the winemaker. Uh, my wife and I just last week drove out to North Fork of Long Island, okay. which is producing some beautiful really? wines right now. And, and right in Long Island. Right in Long Island, out in the North Fork, two hours away. There's even some really good producers now in New Jersey. Um, you know, people laugh about New Jersey wine, but New Jersey is the fifth largest producer of all states. Is that uh, because of Renault? <laughs> uh, Renault and also because of fruit wines. And, and I'll say fifth right. largest producer. Maybe not fifth okay. largest producer of the best wine, but, but it's, it's actually getting better. Right. And the nice thing is when you visit these small wineries, you really get to meet the winemaker or the owner, and you really feel that right. passion um, from, from those people. It is not some huge mm-hmm. corporate conglomerate that's, that's making hundreds of thousands of cases. As I like to say, some of these wineries make um, less wine in a year than Mondavi spills. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, uh, what are some of the good buys out there right now in regards to, uh, let's say, white wine? What are some of the, the, the good wineries that, that are excellent buys right now? I, I think... You know, I like to tell people wine really it comes down to personal taste. There, mm. There's no wrong answer except white Zinfandel. And, uh, <laughs> and, Sound like you have a little bias there. <laughs> a little bit. It's, it's, but, you know, I guess the same reaction usually. Um, <laughs> but the uh, but, but meaning that, uh, and I've done this at a tasting event, I've taken the same grape and I've used two different style wines and I've asked the people in the room who likes the first wine, about half the people raise their hand, who prefers the second, about the other half raise their hand. Uh, again, same grape, two different right. styles. So it's good for people to come get a good sense of what they like and try things. And then you can find out where the values may be. And a value for one person may not be a value for somebody else, but there's a wine glut in the world. There's mm-hmm. lots of really good valued wine out there from all over the world, all over this country. Some countries where I'm finding better values and have for quite some time, Spain, Portugal, mm-hmm. Argentina, Chile, and now other countries are coming on the map. There's more wines in the market from uh, from the rim of, of the Mediterranean, also from Eastern Europe. I, I recently did a Mediterranean-themed wine tasting, and people probably expected wines from Italy and from Spain and France, and I had wines from 
Lebanon and from Tunisia oh. and from Greece and Cyprus uh, in the mix as well. So, uh, so, so more and more of these wines are becoming available in the country. And, and again, up and coming regions tend to be the ones where the, where the values are. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Tunisia. Tunisia. Lebanon. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. New Jersey for that matter. New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was always under the uh, perception um, that in order to have a, a good wine, it takes a good grape and good grape needs um, good sun, good weather and all of that right. good stuff. Right. And I mean, New Jersey's weather is, is, is not bad, but it's not like it's Southern California. I mean, uh, California. Right. And, you know, that that's an excellent point because the Northeast is really at the mercy of the weather. This past summer, with all the heat and the drought, actually is really good for grape production. Oh. It, it produces better fruit. So uh, I've talked to winemakers from the Hudson Valley, from Long Island, from mm. New Jersey, from the Finger Lakes already, and they're just incredibly excited. Last summer, if you can remember, 2009, much cooler, rainier. A lot of the fruit doesn't get nearly as ripe, so they didn't produce the wine that they expected to. Mm. Year before, there's some really good wines. One of the things I, I've been doing just in the past couple of months is, is trying to disprove the theory that you can't make good red wine in the Northeast. And okay. I've collected a couple of cases of mm-hmm. really nice quality red wines from New Jersey, Finger Lakes, Long Island, and uh, Hudson Valley as well. And uh, and when I serve them to people, they're kind of surprised when they hear where they're from. Okay, now uh, obviously you you went out and you tasted these wines in advance, yes. and you were pleasantly surprised. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And, and when you went there, um, how many uh, did you have to go through a different cask here or there? Or, uh, yeah, in some cases, you know, one of the nice things about being in the trade is that you get treated pretty nicely when you go <laughs> visit. And, and, and again, you know, the, it's, it's a social business to, to begin with. Exactly. Whether, whether it's wine from, uh, from the winemaker's perspective or it's mm-hmm. from the distributor's perspective or the retailer's perspective, the restaurant perspective, uh, it, it is a social business. And, it, right. and, it's a, and wine is social to me to begin with. Um, and, and you do get to taste wine at, at different stages when you, when you do go visit. Uh, and, and I did have the ability at a couple of the wineries to taste from the barrel mm-hmm. and, and also and see right from the barrel, even before it was bottled, the difference between 2009 and, and not 2010 yet, obviously, but, but 2008. And, and you wh- see the significant difference side by side. what did you see? When when you saw the 2008 versus 2000, oh, you know it was actually, and I can tell you exactly where it was. It was in the Hudson Valley at Millbrook, and their 2008 was was spectacular. In fact, the wine was so good that Kevin Zarelli, who who runs the Windows on the World Wine School still, and is a known, real 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 known expert in wine, bought 10 cases of this Pinot Noir for himself <laughs> from <laughs> from the winery. Uh-huh. The 2009 tasted like it was already spent. Oh. It was already past peak. Oh wow! So, uh, so, and again, that's 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 because of the conditions, and you you had mentioned before earlier about about the sun and about the right. climate. Right. It, it, it's a very simple thing. The more sun you get, the riper the fruit gets. The riper the fruit gets is more sugar. Sugar converts to alcohol, and you get an adult beverage. So, uh, <laughs> conversely, there there are now climates where it's almost getting too hot to oh. make wine oh. because uh, because because the fruit is getting too ripe mm-hmm. also speaking with some winemakers in the finger lakes uh, one, one woman who actually lives in summit family has owned a winery for three generations we talked just recently about how they're able to make wines now red wines that 25 30 years ago and she and i were mm. at cornell they were not able to make because of the weather oh because it was just never quite warm enough up there now they're getting enough heat that they can produce these wines yet it still remains cool enough for them to 
keep producing those cooler climate grapes like Rieslings and Gewürztraminer right. still. Right. So so Riesling's okay with you. Yeah. Oh, just, oh, just, absolutely. Just Zinfandel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Zinfandel I love is that white Zinfandel. <laughs> that's a, well, it pairs well with Twinkies, I guess. There's probably a use for it. And and how is it running your own business? Um, uh, uh, a, a, a especially business like this is really entertainment. It's education. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It as you said, it's it's a very social business. So it is. Um, you know, uh, you really need to have an extrovert quality to yourself. You do. You also have to be a uh, a juggler, and, and you know this yourself as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've said this because I was also self-employed as in the executive search business, too, for most of the time I spent in that business. And, and it comes down to two things. It's doing the business and running the business. Right. Now, you, you, know, you, do, you do the business because you love doing that business. I loved recruiting. I loved interacting with right. my corporate clients, with, with the individuals. But you also have to, real, you have to realize that you have to administer and mm-hmm. run the business as well. And that gets very difficult. Right. It, it's difficult to, to do your business and then market it. You know, it so, so it's constantly finding that balance and catching up. Uh, it's, it's not fun to do the books, <laughs> but you right. have to do the books. You do, that whole administrative side. But if you're going to be, uh, be entrepreneurial and be self-employed, people need to understand that it's not just doing the thing you love, but having to actually maintain it as well. And, that, and that's the balance. That's the trick. Now, have you uh, brought anyone on to work with you at Swirl Wine Events? Or, or you felt that at this point, maybe it's, it's a little bit too soon? Yeah, uh, what I do is I actually partner with people. And I, and I think that that helps um, because it, it allows me to extend my reach. And uh, so, so I have formed partnerships with uh, uh you know, I won't say with more relationships with different retailers, with different wineries, with different uh, food vendors, restaurants, uh, caterers, uh, food artisans, uh, like the wonderful chocolatier who's in Cranford and uh, just recently made contact with an excellent cheese producer out in Long Valley. And so, so it's nice to have these people there because they're, you can offer them to, to your client base and then bring them on board. And uh, on the flip side of it, they will bring me on board when someone wants, uh, wants, wants my service as part of their event too. Got to have wine, got to have cheese. Right, got to have cheese, <laughs> got to have some kind of food. It's, it's not that's good right. to drink it on an empty stomach. That's right, that's <laughs> right. And how many events do you do in a given month? You know, right now it's, uh, you know, I've gotten up to where I'm probably doing about three or four events a month now. It's, it, it's been, been especially busy, uh, which is nice. Interesting thing is most of the most of those events have been private events. They have been um, uh, alumni related events, fundraiser events. Mm-hmm. The corporate events are starting to come back, uh, which again I think is a sign of the economy. I think I, th- I think to me a good indicator of of an economic recovery will be when the companies are spending money again um, on on a larger scale. Which means when when they're bringing me on board, they're doing client events and they're doing uh, customer events and and. Uh, uh, the, when those start to come back, then I'll know that, that the corner has turned for the sure. Has turned. Yeah. You know, interesting, I'm on the board of the Women's Ventures Fund. Regional uh, uh, nonprofit organization mm-hmm. helps women get some get involved in business. And mm-hmm. we, were, uh, we had our board meeting a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and we're brainstorming about what type of events could we do to invite women to it. And someone said, oh, we should have a, a woman uh, sommelier. Mm-hmm. I said, well, I know someone who's a male <laughs> sommelier. He's a handsome young man. <laughs> But, you know, and the kind of theme that you could do there very easily is uh, is a uh, do a show on uh, or I should say a tasting focused on female winery owners and winemakers. Women do have 
better palates on average than men. More women are super tasters than men. I, I even refer to my own wife as my palate, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, and you know, and I actually do value her, her input when when we're tasting wines around the house. So uh, you know, so there are ways to actually again focus an event. Uh, along the theme line. Well, uh, Hank, we are out of time. I mean, time just flew by. Wow. You're going to come back with us next week, correct? Absolutely. I'm well, happy to be back. Excellent. Well, we are here with Mr. Hank Zona, owner of Swirl Wines Events. Uh, Hank's going to come back next week, so we're going to continue to talk about wines and what's going on with his new uh, TV program, which we're going to talk about. Thank this you. is Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM, Seton Hall University. Remember, leadership begins with you.